The Fake Show Podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, The Craft House Brewery in Henderson, Mr. Antenna, and Banger Brewing in downtown Las Vegas. It's The Fake Show with Jim Tofty. Well, Ty Pennington rose to fame on the TLC home improvement reality show Trading Spaces. And following that series' conclusion in 2003, Ty was chosen as the leader of the eight-person design team on the critically acclaimed ABC hit show Extreme Makeover Home Edition. What you may not have known was the difficulties that Ty had growing up and going to school. He talks about that in his new memoir, and I've got Ty Pennington. Pennington on the line right now. Welcome, Ty. How's it going? I'm great. How are you? Very good. By the way, are you going to be stopping in Vegas uh, for your book signing at uh, at any point? I certainly hope so. Yeah, because we've had you guy, we've had you and some of the other cast members of Trading Spaces and Home Makeover in the studio over the years. So we hope that we get you here. You know what? I will let you guys know that is my plan. I mean, right, anytime good. I can stop in Vegas, let's face it, I want to do it. All right. <laughs> well, congratulations on your memoir, which is called Life to the Extreme. You seem to thrive on chaos, including the fact that you wrote this book in seven days. Yes. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> but I, yeah. I really wanted to uh, to really highlight the chaos that like is my life, but it's also the... Let's just say if there's not any chaos in the room, I'll probably create it. But I really don't understand what it's like to sort of live with ADHD. Not only did I write the book in seven days while I was filming Trading Spaces, while I was filming a show called Why You're Out, while I was filming a show called uh, uh, Small Town Revolution, where we help out these six businesses in small towns. But I've also got two other building projects going on, not to mention the stuff I'm doing on social media, trying to like sort of uh, highlight people who <laughs> do really amazing things like Save the Coral Reef uh, right. down in Florida. So I'm doing all these different things at the same time. But I, that's why when you read the book, you sort of jump into the chaos. Then you, then you jump to Chapter 5, then you jump to Chapter 10, then you eventually go back to Chapter 1 because that's what it's like having a conversation <laughs> with somebody from, uh, with ADHD. You were not diagnosed, is this right, till you were in college? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get diagnosed until I was in college. So I missed like elementary, high school, all of that. I basically spent, well, let's face it, in the principal's office or in the hallway. But um, but yeah, once I was diagnosed, it really sort of, uh, my it was like somebody put a, a focal lens on my camera. And for the first time, I could, I could not only sort of understand what the entire class is, you know, discussing, but like even on a soccer field, I could finally read the the players, I could see where the ball where you know, you needed to thread through the defense. I could see where the next player was going to be. I literally saw ahead of the game instead of just sort of being lost um, in the play that just happened. So it was like, it's, it's interesting. It, it really put clarity uh, on a mind that I didn't even realize um, really needed it so badly. So the kudos for my mom who uh, was just like, you know what, that's it. We're going to take you in and see somebody. And like, I mean, nobody wants to hear that, right? Nobody wants to hear you've got some kind of mental challenge. But uh, I have to say that gave me the clarity and sort of focus to realize, uh, thanks to an art teacher, that I had a gift. Uh, And that sort of um, pointed me in the direction to put myself through art school where I sort of won awards and people sort of really pointed out that I I had had a gift. And I would have never known that, I think, if I hadn't got diagnosed and sort of got that clarity. And next thing you know, I'm turning in three projects instead of one. But for the first time, I really started believing in myself because I realized I had a talent at something. And I think that's why I wrote the book. There's a lot of parents out there with kids with ADHD and like they know they're energetic, but 
they also have this lack of confidence because they've never been able to sort of like outshine other kids right. in the classroom. But the book is really to inspire them to realize like, look, you have a gift, you're good at something, believe in yourself. A door will open that um, will literally show an opportunity you didn't realize uh, was even available. How did the original trading spaces come to you? What were you doing at that time and how did you get that? Uh, well, I was, I was actually renovating a warehouse um, with my brother and these two other brothers, but I was also working for other clients at the time, uh, building uh, furniture and uh, renovating um, a particular client's kitchen. At the time, I had been going on auditions with this agency about two years before, but uh, unfortunately, in a weird way, um, my, my sort of like auditioning and, and uh, let's just call it men's fashion career had gone to an abrupt end because my brother left my portfolio in his, in his car and it was broken into. Right. But the beauty of that is huh. it gave it my career finality. Like I had to end that part of my, my life, which is actually a really good thing because when you're waiting around for a phone call from agency to say whether or not you've got a job, it is the most difficult situation because you have no control on whether you work or not. And so I just couldn't do that anymore in my life. So I called my agency and was like, look, don't send me out on any more auditions. But then about two years later, they were like, dude, you've got to do this audition. They're looking for somebody just like you. We know you're doing construction and you're back in the building. That's exactly what they're looking for. It's like this carpenter is kind of uh, sarcastic, but knows what he's doing. And I'm like, well, I'm half of that. <laughs> I auditioned uh, with this guy named Frank. And uh, I had to get back and finish this kitchen, uh, but there's a bunch of really tall, good-looking guys. With, like, I had this scene with Frank, and Frank's like, hi, what's your name? I'm like, my name's Ty. And he's like, well, hi, Ty, why don't you build me a box? And uh, I could see that he wanted me to build him a flower box, but I started measuring his height, and I was like, so something around six feet? And uh, the cameraman started laughing because they realized that's the best <laughs> I could haul <laughs> That's when they kind of realized we would have a good chemistry show. So Extreme Makeover Home Edition, I mean, it was appointment viewing. I remember that and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It was like one of those shows you just had to tune into every Sunday night. But when it ended, were you kind of ready just to take a breath? Because it just seemed like you guys were on the road all the time. Well, I, first of all, I have to say this. like, I don't know if I was ready. My life was absolutely chaos. I mean, can you imagine nine years of basically working 300 and? 40 days uh, a year right? building two houses at the same time and, and literally like, uh, but I'll be honest with you, it was such a rush because of the gratification of seeing the, the expression on the family's faces when they saw a brand new house. Yes. You couldn't help but want to do it immediately. I would literally go home, I'd wash laundry, I'd turn around and I'd leave the next day to go start another build. But after nine years, yes, I probably looked like I was 90 uh, because you're just worn down. You know, you're like, like uh, however, um, I don't know. I, for me, like, that is probably the greatest show that's ever going to be on television because there's not ever going to be a show, in my opinion, that's ever going to do, have that much of a positive change in the community. Television shows aren't known for that. But we literally right. came into a neighborhood. We changed the life of a family, but we also changed the life of the community because they all pitched in and worked together on something positive, and then they wanted to do it again. And so even after the camera crew was gone, they were building, like, ramps for veterans. They were building parks for kids. They wanted to do something positive because they were inspired by what we were doing there. And not many television shows have that kind of a footprint on a community. And so for me, like, when, uh, when Extreme ended, that was probably the saddest day of my life because it was a family I'd had for 10 years. Um, but like anything, you know, Everything runs its course. And I think at that point, um, 
you know, extreme needed to take a break. It needed, uh, it had, we had done a lot of good, but, uh, you sometimes have to go recharge your batteries. And so, yeah, I took a couple of years off. I went and built a house for my own family and, and experienced what that's like. And no, it didn't take a week. It was two years. <laughs> like anybody else, I saw the reality of really building a home for yourself. But, uh, but like I said, like, yeah, it was probably, I would have to say that particular show had more impact on my life than any other thing I've been through. It was a great cast, and by the way, when you were originally put together in that cast, weren't they trying to establish that you would not get along, that they were kind of pitting you against each other? Yeah, so I was, uh, you know, literally I was was brought in as the host before we even sort of decided what the show was going to be. But yeah, because because Survivor was such a huge uh, hit, the the production company wasn't sure what kind of show they were going to do at first. It was, they just knew they wanted a crazy show that built a house in seven days. But the idea originally was that these six designers would literally sort of bicker and fight and scream because that's what it's like building a house in seven days. And we wanted to capture that kind of angry chaos because that's what was popular with Survivor. And uh, thank God, like the personalities and the people and the, the talent that was on the show, we had a little bit of a different vibe and, and, um, and luckily, too, like, we're building this house. And I don't even think the production company realized what was happening because the reason the ugliest house in the neighborhood looked the way it did is because the family was using all the money to 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 use on their child's um, uh, treatments for cancer. And so right. when you got into the family story, you realized that it wasn't about us at all. The the, the show was the story of the family. And, um, and once we did one episode and then you realized – and we didn't even move the bus, actually. The bus was just there part because that's where we were sleeping. Uh, but it's, we walked him around the bus, and, of course, the reaction was so phenomenal. And next thing you know, everybody in blue T-shirts are crying, and you realize, okay, I don't know what this is, but we need to do it again. And this is the show. And I said that to the producer, and he goes, that's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, that yeah. is great. And like I said, I think one of the reasons it's such a great show is because it wasn't one person's idea. It found its own identity naturally, and I think sometimes those are the best things in life. Before I let you go, uh, as a music person, such as I am, uh, and have played rock, you know, for for a few decades now, I heard that you're a big fan of the years 1977 to 80 because, I mean, let's face it, those were the peak years for punk rock, and I think that's great because that's right where I am in terms of fandom. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize, like, most people think of those years as like some of the worst music. I think it's some of the best because right. it was so, I mean, there was just so much to say. There's like, because if you were part of the underground scene, as you know, like that was it, man. I mean, 77 to like 82, like the underground punk scene, such good talent came out. of. I mean, let's face it. Like it really started 69, 70s, all the above. It all depends. Yeah. But um, I would say, yeah, man, those years, like it's so powerful. Like, just the impact that the Stooges had, that the the New York Dolls yes. had, all of the above, like just it, it just yep. changed the way we uh, we love music, man. But, yeah, but I mean, even the Velvet Underground, let's face it, they started it all too. Oh, very good. The Clash, the Ramones, MC5. Yeah, I'm right on to be there. MC5. 
What? All right. <laughs> Ty Pennington's book, Life to the Extreme, available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. A pleasure talking to you, buddy. It was great. I hope to see you here in Vegas soon. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. All right, Ty. Bye-bye. He does thrive on chaos, and his book talks about how he channeled that off-the-wall energy. That brings us to the end of this episode of The Fake Show. I'm Jim Tofty. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you back here next time. Take The Fake Show on the road by listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. 